0: okay let's look at our scripture as we continue going through the book of Galatians this is Galatians 2 1 through 10 Paul continues his defense of his apostleship as he is ministering to the Galatians who seem to be wandering from the truth of the gospel and so Paul has penned this letter uh, to remind them of who Jesus is of who they are in Christ then after 14 years only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The word of the Lord. I've been thinking, I spend a lot of time thinking about the question, how do people change? You're aware that our vision statement at Redeemer is to make mature and equipped disciples used to transform their communities, uh, uh, their family, this community, and the world beyond. And this concept of maturing requires change so how do people change how do they grow the Bible says for the Christian that we are always changing always being shaped by God's Spirit from the beginning to the end it's Paul in Philippians 1 6 that says he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus I have. Uh, three children still at my household actually one's in college and I watch them and they're always changing they're always maturing and as I've looked at physical change and spiritual change I have discerned that there are three stages that we must go through as we change and the reason that I bring them up is because it shows here in this passage that Paul is going through these three steps as well and these steps are preparation examination and vindication. Paul is in this process as we look at this passage of preparation, examination, and vindication. And it's my suggestion to you that you are also in one of these phases right now. God is either preparing you, examining you, or vindicating you. And as such we have a responsibility an opportunity to see Christ work in our lives. Ultimately, what God is teaching us to do is to stand firmly on the Gospel. Because when you make your stand on the Gospel, you can stand against anything. And so in painstaking detail and clarity over these next several hours, I will show you these several steps that Paul is going through. Preparation, examination, and vindication. Let's look at point number one, preparation. To recap again, the Galatians have been slipping in their faith. They heard the true gospel from Paul who ministered and evangelized to the church. But Paul has gone out and continued on his missionary journey and new people have come in that we will call Judaizers. And what they're doing is communicating to the Galatians that Paul's message was wrong. That it's not only Jesus who can save you, But you must adhere to the Mosaic law, to the customs and the laws that have been handed down. Otherwise, Christ's salvation is not enough. And Paul is defending against this. And he begins, as I I preached on last week, talking about his own conversion. Not only that he was appointed by Jesus as an apostle, but his life demonstrates the fact that God has worked in his life. In the past, uh, in chapter 1, we saw that after Paul became a Christian on the road to Damascus, he went and he visited the apostles three years after his conversion. It says that when God was pleased to reveal his son to me in Galatians 1.16, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia, And returned again to Damascus then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas Paul and remained with him 15 days now in verse 1 we see that Paul again communicates then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me now why is this important that Paul is communicating we need to figure out something was is Paul saying after three years and then there was another 14 years that Paul went up to Jerusalem or is he saying that it's 14 years after he became a Christian on the road to Damascus because of its 14 plus three years he's speaking about the time that Paul went up to the Jerusalem council if you remember the Apostles and the elders in Jerusalem called a council to deal with this very issue of these Judaizers. What is necessary to be saved uh, in uh, Jesus Christ? But if you'll notice in the letter of Galatians, Paul never mentions this council. So we have to assume that it's been 14 years he's speaking of since his conversion. And if it's 14 years, then he's referring to Acts 11.29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so what, why this is important is we know that in verse 13, Paul took his first missionary journey in Asia and Europe. In fact, Paul would take three missionary journeys. But this is communicating that Paul went, uh, this is before Paul, was sent by the church to do that. And so we have to ask the question, what was Paul doing during these 14 years before he went to the church and was officially recognized and sent on his first missionary journey? The Bible really doesn't speak about it. It communicates that he began to share the gospel in Damascus and in Arabia, but it really doesn't say. It's a big, it's a big question mark. But Paul communicates that he did not go to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia. Why would he do that? I mean, Jerusalem is the place to be. He's been commissioned as an apostle by Jesus Christ himself. He should go right away and get with the other apostles. But he doesn't do that. He goes to Arabia. He goes to the desert. Christian tradition actually communicates that he went and spent time at Mount Sinai, which is in the Arabian Peninsula, which is the same place that Moses went. Remember the story? Moses goes to be a shepherd for 40 years in the desert after leaving Egypt until God appeared to him in the burning bush. See, I want to suggest to you that these 14 years were a time of preparation for Paul. Paul. He was certainly preaching the gospel, I'm not saying he wasn't. But God was doing a work in Paul. See, before Paul came to Christ, he was on the fast track in Judaism. He communicates that he was advancing beyond many of the Jews of his age as he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Paul was on the fast track and God wanted to slow him down. See, that's the way God works, isn't it? He did it with Moses. Moses wanted to free the Israelites from the Egyptians, and so he killed that Egyptian. And what did God do? He drove him into the desert for 40 years. Imagine 40 years tending sheep in the desert. God was teaching Moses that it's not all about you, Moses, and your gifts and your strengths and your abilities it's about me. What about Jesus? 30 years in relative obscurity, right? Working in the carpenter shop, the Son of God. His brothers didn't even know or believe he was the Son of God until the end. 30 years for three years of ministry. This is the way God works. See, Paul needed Christ to become more and more in his life and for him to become less and less. There is a truth about how God works. The work of God is urgent and God is never in a hurry because just as important to God as the message is those who deliver it. And Paul's life and the message of the law of Moses and the culture he was in of do, 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 achieve, obtain, observe, he had to take his focus off of himself and on Christ. And so God took Paul away. The reality is God does the same thing in our lives. It's called a time of preparation. And it goes on and on. And it starts and it stops. And it happens again. We live in a culture that's, that is, um, what's the word? It's obsessed with production. Do more, produce more, create more, more, more. It's about you. We're about getting things done. You know what the, our, is actually the most poorly attended rede- uh, events at Redeemer? Two of them, one we don't do anymore, but we used to do a prayer meeting on Friday mornings, 6.30, horribly attended, horribly attended, why? You just sit there and you pray and you stand before God. I started this Wednesday worship meeting. It has not been well attended. The whole point is to come back from production, to come into the presence of the Lord and to worship Him. But there's something in our bodies, something in our spirits that wants to produce, produce, produce. But you see, the gospel Is not about us and what we do it's about Jesus Christ and what he did and what he does the gospel is about us trusting in him and not in ourselves Paul need needed to learn that and we need to also because if we don't learn this we will live in slavery. Notice verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. You see, any other religion, philosophy, code, or creed on which you base your life on something other than the gospel will ultimately bring you slavery. See, when you think about it, what is it that we can really add to our salvation? It took the perfect life of Jesus Christ, dying a gruesome death on the cross, the Son of God, that we might be found righteous in his sight. What is it that you or I could possibly bring to God that would compare in any way to that? A gospel according to works is no gospel. And the only message you will hear again and again reverberating through your soul is never enough. I'd love to tell you about my nervous breakdown. I'm not kidding, by the way. I have had a nervous breakdown. It was a while ago. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but I sincerely hope you never do. I owned my own business and I was chasing after clients and trying to make ends meet and it was not coming together. And I was experiencing financial difficulties. But before, I'd always been able to do it. I'd always been able to pull myself up by my bootstraps, go out, find the client, make the sale, create the opportunity but it wasn't coming together and for the first time in my life I came to the end of myself and I did not like it one bit. You see I was living by a different code, a different creed and my code was I am what I do, I am what I have and I am what others think about me. I was going into a time of preparation. I was a Christian, but I didn't know what it meant to really stand on the gospel. Jesus wanted to take time with me and so he sent me into Arabia so that I would learn three important truths to replace those. I am not what I do. I am what he does. I am not what I have. I am what he has and I am not what others think of me. I am what he thinks of me. Perhaps you are in a time of preparation right now. Perhaps you feel forgotten, abandoned, unsure, misunderstood, obscure or unnoticed. See, there are things that you can only learn in the desert. There are things that God wants to teach you, to free you from the slavery of the world and the code that you've created. That I am what he did. That his cross, his perfect death, his substitutionary atonement for my life makes me righteous in the sight of God. God that there's nothing that I need to bring to God to be justified before him. I am what he did. I am what he has. And all of the riches that he has, he's made available to me in Christ Jesus to meet every need that I have according to his riches. Indeed, the one who watches over me is the King of kings and the Lord of lords seated in the heavens. I am what he thinks of me. As the song sings that we just sang, you call me beloved, you call me friend. You say that I'm worthy and you welcome me in. I am what he thinks of me. So have you learned yet to rest in him? See, that's why we need to go to the Lord daily in prayer. To sit down silently. That's why we need to be with other believers to help remind us of the truth. That's why we need to throttle back and to come and worship and to be. See, everybody holds on to something in your, in your hand. And what God wants to be in our hand is the cross and nothing but the cross. If you're going through a time of preparation, even though it's hard, take heart Jesus did it Moses did it I did it and God's doing it in your life as well he's teaching you to stand on the gospel because when you stand on the gospel you can stand against anything this brings me to my second point the examination because preparation will ultimately lead to examination right In verse 2, it says, Paul says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, them being the the main three apostles, Peter, James, and uh, uh, um, John, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. So why did Paul go up to Jerusalem? He went up because of a revelation. God said to him, it's time to go. I wonder if there were times before when Paul said, maybe I should be going to Jerusalem. That's where all the action is. God says, no. But it was time. The issue with the Judaizers has been going on in the Galatians church. And Paul goes up to the church because he is worried. He wants to meet with the apostles because he says, I want to be sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Now it's important that you understand that Paul is not doubting the gospel that he is preaching. Paul is not worried that I've been preaching the wrong thing, that I've been saying I need to make sure of what those guys are saying. No, Paul wants to make sure that they're preaching the true gospel. Because he understands if those other apostles are not preaching the true gospel, the church is going to be getting mixed messages. And all of my preaching has been for naught. See, Paul has been prepared and it's examination time. Notice Paul's attitude toward the other apostles. Verse 2 I went and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. Notice in verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, who they are or what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Is Paul being cocky about who he is, that those guys got nothing on me? No, Paul is saying that I'm sure with all of my heart and all of my life, That this is the true gospel that Jesus Christ has communicated to me and no matter what anyone else says even the Apostles I will not deviate from it and so Paul makes his stand for the gospel and blessed be the other Apostles who were also sent by Christ they agree with him see there's a truth I was taught from a young age that if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything And so Paul makes his stand as he meets with the apostles. And why does he do this? Well, because he doesn't want to go back. He doesn't want to go back to that old life in which his life was measured by how well he did at obeying the law that day. A life of uncertainty. A life of never enough. A life of wondering what God really thinks about me today based on how I live you know that life don't you you've lived it before perhaps you're living it right now no Paul doesn't want to go back he's held onto the cross and he is not letting go come hell or high water paraphrase used correctly he must be faithful also to his calling to preach the gospel It is Jesus himself who went to Paul on the road to Damascus and commissioned him to go to the Gentiles. And Paul will be faithful to Christ. Notice in verse 5. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, Galatians. You see, what we believe and what we choose to stand on will ultimately affect everyone around us. If you're parents, it will affect your children as they see upon what you make your stand. If you work in a business or you live in a community, people are watching your lives to see what you base them on, whether it be the gospel or the gospel and something else. And what Paul is saying to the Galatian church is I will not back down an inch to make sure that the gospel the true gospel of salvation in Christ by faith alone through grace alone on the basis of the finished work of Christ alone will be the only gospel that is preached But what does this have to do with us because preparation is for the examination and there will be a time when you too will be tested when there are those in your life or circumstances in your life that will come against you that will say that the gospel is not enough. The world will come up against you and say, trusting in Christ for your righteousness, for who you are, what a joke. You are what you do. You are what you have and you have nothing. There's even times when the church Will come up against you and say that the gospel is not the gospel. And it's sad that in many mainline churches today, you can go and hear a gospel that is not the gospel at all. There's a time when even those you trust will come up against you. You know, the first time I ever remember reading a Bible was when my girlfriend gave it to me in high school, 16 years old. I opened it up, it was gibberish. It might as well have been Arabic to me because I didn't have the Spirit of God. But I went to a Young Life meeting, my senior in high school, and I heard the gospel and I believed. And I started to get radical for Jesus. I remember my girlfriend's mother talking to me, saying, you're really going overboard with this Jesus thing. They actually went to church. My parents didn't even go to church. They went to church. He doesn't really mean to put all your hope and all your trust and all your, you know, everything in one basket. And I looked at her incredulously, but I knew that wasn't the gospel. You see, my friends, others' opinions must become secondary if Christ is to become first. I don't know if you've seen a recent article online at Christianity Today, and it's regarding, sadly, a pastor named Joshua Harris. I don't know if you know that name. He wrote a very popular Christian book some time ago called I Kissed Dating Goodbye when he was in his 20s. I think it sold like one or two million copies. Joshua was involved with Sovereign Grace, uh, the Sovereign Grace Church movement, and he was a pastor up in Maryland of Covenant Life Church from 2004 to 2015. Went away to do some seminary work at Regent, and he just posted. Uh, he's a very popular speaker, blogger, and he just posted this on his uh, on his blog. On his Christian faith, Harris explained, "I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus." The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phase phrase is called is is falling away by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian I am not a Christian many people tell me there is a different way to practice faith and I want to remain open to this but I'm not there now Joshua Harris at least for right now has walked away from his faith and he's divorcing his wife of 21 years they have three children Joshua was the pastor of Covenant Life Church just a little bit longer than I have been a pastor of this church So, what would you do if you woke up one morning and looked at my blog and I wrote something like Joshua Harris? Can you imagine what the people in that church at Covenant Life are feeling? Here's a person who they've sat under his teaching for over a decade as he preached the true gospel and then said, I no longer believe. That's a time of examination for those people. What is it that I'm willing to stand on even if those who I love, even if those who I trusted no longer proclaim salvation by faith through grace on the finished work of Christ? Indeed, there will be a time that you and I all have to stand. There's big stands and there's little stands. Every day we make a stand against the world if we choose to follow and stand on Christ. So have you had to stand on the gospel yet? Maybe the gospel that you follow, you've watered down so much that it doesn't offend anyone. Remember, my calling is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable I suggest you check and make sure that the gospel that you're following is the true gospel, Jesus Christ plus nothing else. If you're standing on it, there will be someone who will say you're crazy. Might be your friend, might be your coworker, might be your parents, might be your spouse. And the temptation might be To just forget about the whole thing. It's the testing and the examination that reveals our faith and the preparation that God has done. And so make a decision now, before the time of testing, I can stand and will stand on only the Gospel. Paul did it here before he went and visited those pillars of the faith. Because there's one thing in the end That you can be sure of. You can't be sure of others. You can't be sure of your abilities. You can't even be sure of yourself. But you can be sure of Him. Jesus Christ was and is enough. This brings me to my final point, which is not in my notes anywhere. Don't you hate it when you run out of ink? Or you run out of paper vindication notice what happened when the disciples saw this man standing before they saw his conviction for the gospel his unwillingness to budge even an inch from salvation in Christ the same message that they were given by Jesus and what they they said on the contrary when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised the Gentiles Um, What did they do? Uh, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. If you ever come to a presbytery meeting of the PCA, we're in the presbytery, uh, what you'll uh, see is there are candidates for licensure and ordination being examined. And so the process of eventually ending up like me means you have to go to seminary. And then you go before a presbytery of pastors. And they examine you and license you to preach. And then you go before a committee. And after a certain period of time, you go back before 70 other pastors who are sitting, checking you out to make sure that your views are theologically sound. It is like that dream of when you are naked, uh, you know, in front of an auditorium. But at the very end, if you pass the test, they pray for you. And they, uh, after the prayer, every single one of those pastors comes up and they extend to you the right hand of fellowship. And you shake their hand. And what they say, what they are communicating to you is you are partners with me in the communication of the gospel. See, this was Paul's vindication. He didn't need it. See, that's the beauty of it. He's already made his stand on Jesus Christ. But the vindication that yes, indeed, the church accepts him and the church would go on from there to send him on three different missionary journeys into Asia Minor and Europe. Paul is the primary reason why you and I are in this building today. My ancestors are from Spain. Well, who went in that direction and shared the gospel first? It was the Apostle Paul. And out of the 27 books of the New Testament, Paul wrote 14 of them, far more than anyone else. God prepares us, God tests us, and God vindicates us. Now sometimes we don't see it in this life in terms of with people but when you are tested and you come forth as gold you feel the pleasure of God upon you and his strength for service and even your enemies in the end cannot stand against you because who can stand against the Lord? Paul did this in this passage Paul is communicating to the Galatians and I am communicating it to you that when you make your stand on the gospel you can stand against anything. Are you in a time of preparation? Sink your feet into the bedrock of the gospel. There's no one else around. It's just you and him. Hold on. Go ahead and ratchet back. Sit before Christ until you understand what it means be still and know that I am God. Are you in a time of trial and testing and examination? Stand your ground. Lift up your head. Straighten your back. You're standing on a firm foundation that never can be moved no matter who comes against you. And are you in a time of vindication? If you are, worship and give thanks to God because it is because of Him. He's moving you into a new area of service, a new area of revelation, a new area of power. Because when you make your stand on the gospel, you can stand against anything. By God's grace, let us do so today. Let's pray. You're a good father. And we thank you for each of these stages. Lord, that you prepare us, that you're not just interested in what we do, but you're far more interested in who we are and who we're becoming in you. God, help us to learn your rhythms, to walk in your ways, to be before we do, and to let our trust be in you. When we're examined, Lord, help us to stand firmly on the rock of our salvation Jesus Christ and let us not give an inch and let the testimony of our words and our lives be a witness to an unbelieving world and let many see and fear the Lord and Lord thank you for the victories big and small that you give us help us to see them and to bow down in worship for it's you who make us stand firm and we will continue to stand in you by your grace, all the days of our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.